Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast, Season 2. I'm Casey Tigret. I'm an author, pastor, and spiritual director. If there's a question that I get more often than any other when it comes to the spiritual life, it's a question about suffering. What do we do with our suffering? How does God interact with us in our suffering? Does God even care about the pains that we go through, whether they're as large as the loss of a loved one, whether they're as middling as the loss of employment or the loss of a relationship, or even as small as the loss of something that we had expected? Does God stay with us in the midst of our pain? And more than that, are we okay? Is it okay for us to express that pain to God? It's interesting to me, the minor key songs of our life, the songs that are dirges, the songs that are darker, the songs that reflect the ache and the pain of our soul. In the Christian catalog of songs that are used in worship by Christian churches and uh, churches throughout America, there are no songs in a minor key, which tells me that when we deal with suffering, one of the things we decide to do is just to try to push through it just to try and do better and be better and be happier, and it'll all work out. But the Bible gives us a different option. The Bible gives us an option to do something called lament. Lament just so happens to be the topic of the book, The Louder Song by Aubrey Sampson, who is our guest today on the Otherwise Podcast. And she has a story to tell, a story of pain and a story of the process of lament. So, a conversation that I always like to have with people is, if you were going to define the word wisdom, where would you start? So, where would you start with that? Yeah, it's funny. I knew you were going to ask me that because I I listen to your podcast. And so, I asked my kids this morning, what tell me what you think of when you think of wisdom. I've got three sons. They're 12, 9, and 7. And uh, my 12-year-old goes, me, I'm wise, you know? And then my seven-year-old goes, oh, it's people with mustaches and beards. You know, they they know a lot. They're wise. And then my nine-year-old was so profound. It was like this really proud parenting moment. He goes, oh, wisdom is when you're willing to learn from other people. And I was like, oh, wow, that's genius. When I think of wisdom, I think of you know, I'm a pastor. So I think of James chapter three, where he talks about wisdom coming from heaven and uh, wisdom being not about selfish ambition, but willing to yield to other people and being peace loving and humble and gentle. And I felt like that's sort of what my son was saying, you know, that uh, that willingness to die to ourselves kind of uh, live in order to put other people first. That strikes me as at least part of wisdom for sure. Yeah. And is this, now I have to tell people who can't see you, you're, you're wearing Fortnite headphones. Is, <laughs> is this the son that has given you the headphones or? Um, no, that's my 12 year old who said he's the wise one. My nine year old doesn't, he hasn't quite graduated into Fortnite yet. We're, we wait a little bit before they can do it. I know I look like I'm landing an uh, airplane. And they keep where... changing colors. It's fascinating. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, they do. Yeah. They, they go from blue to green to red. And oh, I see purple. See that maybe this one should be a video episode. I think that might be, like that might should. be fun. <laughs> I'm going to get online and play later and yeah. do some, do some Fortnite dancing. Oh. Uh... <laughs> 
Well, so so writing a book and the book that you've written, um, this is the official shift without a clutch, just so you want to know. Um, gotcha. Writing a book like you've written, I feel like books are always kind of the the collating of our life. Anybody who's writing is is and writing well as you have is is really putting together the chapters and the pieces. Uh, how do you feel like this this book, the louder song, is is sort of a collation of you personally? Yeah, I had a friend ask me recently. You know, why did you write this book? Did you just did you want to just write about lament? Did you just think it was an interesting topic? And I said, I honestly was a few years ago, like, I mean, this is an exaggeration, but I felt like I was about to die in, in my despair. Like life was just not going well. And, um, lament became a lifeline for me, honestly, like back to God and, and, and even out, even though lament is an expression of, of suffering and grief. It helped me get out of my own grief and think about other people in the world that are suffering and grieving. And, um, so it, the book, the louder song became my journey from, I mean, not this neat and tidy journey from suffering to hope, but it sort of, it sort of was the journey of how I moved from that really dark place to, um, finding some handholds in the middle of that really dark place finding God's presence in the midst of that really dark place. And then I felt like maybe there are some things here that aren't just for me. Like maybe there are some things here that other people have walked through because of course, everyone who has walked on the planet earth has suffered or has walked with someone who has suffered. And so um, it began as my story and it mostly is my story, but I felt like there was enough there that other people might need some handholds in their own grief and their own pain. Um, and so anyway, that's how really how the book was formed. And there are three, three, maybe four touchstone moments in the book that yeah. are the subject of the lament. Uh, there's one that's a health crisis for you. Yeah. Uh, there's a situation with a family member who's disappeared. Yeah. Uh, there's your son's surgery. Yeah. And then there's a, a marriage yeah, uh, a sort of a consequence—not a consequence, but sort of an outpouring of everything. Right, uh, kind of funnels into your into your marriage. So to 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 be that vulnerable to open up those spaces, mm-hmm. do, how do you feel like that vulnerability plays into this idea of lament of actively expressing sorrow? Do Do you feel like there's yeah. a need for a certain level of vulnerability and transparency in order to to lament well? So I, um, I'm assuming most of your listeners, Casey, are familiar with the Enneagram. And um, so probably you can tell from reading my book that I identify as a four on the Enneagram. Um, oh, nice. Casey's pointing to himself. Yes, both of us. Oh, they know. They know. It's I'm horrible. just horrible. We're the we're horrible. I, I, I'm the most unique, <laughs> the unique person who's ever lived. So. <laughs> They say two fours can't be in the same room. So the fact that we're talking together is... Well, it's good that we're doing incredible. this via Zoom and not in <laughs> the same true. room. This would not That's go true. well. <laughs> um, so I find it a little more natural to kind of lean into vulnerability. But what was interesting is during the kind of those four things you mentioned all happened sort of honestly at once. It was like it, hell hit at one time in, in 2015, in the fall of 2015. Um, 
and, you know, my health declined and my, a, a beloved family member died very tragically, like you said. Um, and our son was dealing with his spinal cord surgery and some ongoing care. And then as a result, like you said, our marriage was just in the height of conflict. And, um, for the first time I was really afraid of being vulnerable for the first time in really my life, I was pretending like everything was okay. You know, write about this in the book. I would, um, I would be feeling emotion and I would literally walk over to my record player and put on the Mary Poppins soundtrack to like, it's just a spoonful of sugar. Cause I just didn't want to feel all the dark things that I was feeling and all the scary things that I was feeling. And, um, all that to say, getting back to your question, the biblical language and the spiritual discipline of lament kind of helped me release that need to, um, pretend like everything was okay. It helped me release the need to even like grieve perfectly in this very ordered way that I felt like Christians should grieve in. And all that to say, I think that for any of us to lament well, we do have to have a willingness to be vulnerable, at least before God. I don't think you have to write a book, you know, you don't have to like air your stuff with everyone, but I do think there has to be a place where you're willing to say, okay, I'm going to say to God all of the awful, ugly, angry, scary things and um, just leave it there and wait, you know, and, and see if God is going to show up and answer these questions and answer my blame and answer my heartache. I think that's vulnerability is definitely a, a pivotal aspect of lament. So what was it that brought, was it a calling? Was it a sense of the moment that brought you from this fear of vulnerability or this hesitancy to be vulnerable mm -hmm. into the lament stage where you were being vulnerable? Yeah. And then to take it, I mean, to put it in a book and then present it to the world is, <laughs> is such a, I mean, that's a huge jump from, oh, I don't feel like being vulnerable yeah, to, yeah. you know, here it is. What, what prompted you to move into that, into that space? Um, so for my own journey, um, and this is kind of a long story, so I hope it's okay that I tell it, but it's, it's, uh, kind of the initial chapter of the book and it's why I even started the process of lamenting for myself. Um, I, um, began to just cry out to God, like, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm faking, I'm pretending, I'm smiling, but I'm falling apart. Like, I don't know if I'm praying to the ceiling fan. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years, but I don't know, God, if you hear me, I don't know if you're with me. And um, so I just began asking God to show up, like, you have got to show up, or uh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Every, I, I was honestly, it felt like this major crisis of faith moment, like I am going to my whole life of faith and ministry and pastoring and, you know, being missional, all of it will have been a joke, God, if you don't show up here. So anyway, I, I really see this moment that did happen as part of God's kindness to me in my suffering season. I, um, a friend invited me to a concert in downtown Chicago and it was this great little theater in the round. And, um, we walked in, we were a little bit late for the concert. We sat down, the lights went out and a projector screen descended from the ceiling, like almost just as soon as we sat down. And it flashed a trigger warning. 
And then it began flashing um, really disturbing images, honestly, of like um, hungry children and child soldiers and, and school kids walking out um, in protest of school shootings and uh, women being oppressed. Anyway, just very dark. And this choir walked on stage in these really dark robes and they began singing this. I didn't know what it was at the time. I learned later it was this really low um, funeral dirge. And so, you know, I'm at this show again, trying to avoid my pain. I'm there thinking it's going to be this fun girls night out and a time away. And all of a sudden I'm just slammed with, um, not my own pain only, but the pain of the world. And I turned to my friend, I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, I don't think I can deal with this right now. And what I didn't realize is there was actually another choir, um, staged in the audience as if they were audience members and they stood up and they began singing over us um, a U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Um, and it was startling when they uh, stood up, but it wasn't scary. It was like they were performing life-saving surgery over us. And soon what was incredible to me was that the funeral choir was still singing. The suffering images were still being shown, but this kind of hopeful, joyful song was growing louder. And I felt like God saying to me, Aubrey, this is what I do. I don't need you to pretend like these hard things in the world don't exist. I'm not pretending like they don't exist, but I am at work singing a louder song over them. And I want to invite you to tune your ears to my louder song. And part of that process is going to be admitting that these really, really hard things are happening and there's no good answer for them. So that moment, which actually was a lament concert, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a lament concert, um, began for me this exploration of um, what the lamenters say in the Bible the fact that there's like, of course, this history of suffering people that have gone before us for centuries. We're not the, it's not original to be hurting, you know, and that, that there's a whole world that's hurting. And I just felt like God invited me to kind of join in the suffering of other people, people who have it worse than I do, people who are suffering in smaller ways than I am, just join in with them and begin lamenting my pain to God. Now that process, I ended up meeting with the spiritual director who helped me through some of it. That process took several years. And so I wasn't writing the book right in the middle of all of just the horrendous stuff. I was writing the book with a little bit of perspective to say, okay, here's the pathway that God walked me through and, and here's what God is at work doing. It's not wow. like I'm totally over it and everything's great now, <laughs> but um, I definitely have a lot more hope than I did even three years ago. Yeah. When you, when anybody talks about, and you've, you've mentioned it actually already, when anybody talks about pain and struggle when it comes to faith, it seems like there's a lot of conversation about expectations. So you <laughs> mentioned just now, you know, God, God saying to you, I, I'm not ignoring this. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect you to. What have you learned about what God expects from us in the mm. process of lament? Mm. I, um, my spiritual director has been really helpful with this because I, I felt like I needed to grieve a really specific way, um, kind of like climbing a corporate ladder. Like I'm going to get to this level of grief and feel, okay, now I've graduated onto the next level and kind of keep moving up some 
ladder in my mind of, of how grief or pain should go. And then I'll get to the top of the ladder and God will have been pleased with me and I'll have learned the spiritual lesson and I'll move on to the next stage of spiritual development. And I can wrap it up in a great little preachable package. Like I had, I honestly had an idea that that's how, um, my grieving should go so that God would be pleased with me. And I, I said that something like that to my spiritual director and she was like, who told you that? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I don't know. Some pastor, some preacher, some, somewhere along the way. That's what I thought. Grief and pain and we're supposed to be. And she said, listen, you are trying so hard to like control the outcome of this and she said, you really don't have to do much more than sit in the presence of God and let him love you. And um, that, I'm going to get emotional now talking about it, but that was so profound for me because I really, I really thought there was a very right way to, to walk through this process. And I didn't realize that um, I could actually just sit in the presence of God and let him be with me. And that might be enough to find healing, you know. It seems like a hallmark of spiritual growth is that moment where you find that abiding is not about a to-do list. Mm. Uh, and it, it really is what it sounds like. It's being in the presence of and remaining, which you bring up in, there's a chapter called Begin With Now in the book. And uh, you bring up a book that I've talked about extensively on this podcast. Last season, I think Aaron Nequist and I had a very long conversation about this book, uh, The Critical Journey. Oh. And uh, how valuable that's been. I, I'm curious, part of your lament is physical struggle. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk to people who have chronic physical, either chronic pain mm -hmm. or chronic illness that they're battling. And I'm always curious, what do you feel like is the connection between the inner, what is the intersection of spiritual growth and physical pain? Yeah. Because some of the pain that uh, Hagberg and Gulich talk about is hitting the wall. Yep. So it's, it's sort of this existential, like, I don't know if God exists, or I don't know if I can believe or worship or read the way that I used to, and I'm having yep. this crisis and I have to go through the wall. Yeah. Does that look different in the context of chronic physical struggle <laughs> where the wall is always there you mean <laughs> yeah that'll, yeah yeah <laughs> there's no end in sight to the wall um i can tell you what it has looked like for me um i thought cuz i'm a westerner and we tend to communicate with god uh, verbally right um and we tend to communicate about god verbally which is good i mean the the gift of language is really good and powerful but um what I have had to learn is that when there are days when I'm in so much pain that I don't want to talk, um, but I still want to somehow commune with God. And so I've had to learn um, that sometimes it's okay to even just pray with my body and just to acknowledge. I mean, I've done prayers where I literally will just place my hand on my ankles that are hurting. I'll place my hand on my knees that are hurting. I'll place my hands on my hips that are hurting. And I'll just say, or not even say, because again, verbally, but I'll just sort of like breathe and invite God into that. Like, God, please be with my hands, you know, 
or I I've, I've had to learn that sometimes it's even okay to say, God, I want to worship you, but right now my arms are on fire and my arms don't want to worship you. They can't because there's pain here. And I mean, this sounds a little silly, but even just acknowledging that and not judging myself for it, that I like can't get off the couch and read my Bible and do all kind of the awesome things you're supposed to do as a Christian, just being able to stop and acknowledge that, acknowledge my limitedness and invite God into that. that's been part of the process of physical pain and spiritual growth for me. It's like learning a different way of communicating with God. And um, yeah, I feel like that I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but um, acknowledging my own limitedness has been very important for me in this journey and uh, letting go of the need to feel like I'm limitless when I'm not, you know? Yeah. And there's a phrase you use in the book too, that I think applies uh, where you talk about making sense of nonsense. That some of this is is really trying to trying to translate stuff that doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever, uh, right? And yet at the same time, God is present in the painful ankles and the yeah, and and even in the expectations, yeah, the expectations that don't get met or that we carry, and we believe this is the thing that I've always I've always known. You know, this is what it means to be a vibrant follower of Jesus, yeah. and and to say that could change. Or that mm-hmm. would change based on, do you, has there ever been, uh, and you've been transparent in the book, so I feel like this is yeah. an out of bounds question. Has there ever been a moment where that has felt selfish? Like <laughs> me wanting to, this has got to be tailored. Cause I, I deal, I run into yeah. that with people. Like they feel like because they're hearing something in themselves and yeah. trying to respond to it, that somehow that's selfish because everything's supposed to come from the outside. Have you wrestled with that? I mean, I've definitely wrestled with selfishness in um, my own, like I, it does begin to feel self, self-absorbed. Like I'm only concerned with my pain. I'm only concerned with my journey. I'm only concerned with, but I haven't felt like it's selfish to kind of honor what my body is saying to me and respond to God out of that. Um, I feel like that's been the moving out of my selfishness, you know, otherwise I would honestly turn on Netflix and day drink and like, not like not do and make any connections with God or with other people who are hurting. But I feel like being able to acknowledge the pain that my body is in and just stop and say, or think, I'm in pain today, Jesus. I don't know what to do. I think even that helps me get a little out of my self-absorption. I have a friend who deals with chronic pain and um, he always reminds me, he's had to go in and out of the hospital several times. And he says, every time he's in the hospital, he of course uses that time to rest, but he also tries to ask God, is there anyone in my life who's hurting right now that I can encourage? And I I feel like I'm not as, he's better a person than I am, but I try to remember that, you know, when I'm having days where I, I'm trying to listen to my body, acknowledge the pain that I'm in, not just be about me, but, um, send an encouraging text to another person in pain or remember that there are suffering people all over the world who have it so much worse than I do and lift up a prayer of lament for them. Um, so I don't think it has to be selfish, but I could totally see how people would kind of think, Oh, that's, you're all about yourself, you know? Well, it's, to me, it's surprising because the people that I see this from are people who no one would in their right mind accuse of ever being selfish. 
right. their whole life models the exact opposite. And so mm-hmm. part of the reason to ask the question is, I, I feel like you are in a unique position to give permission yeah. to people to say, sometimes I need to, I need to just name this thing that's in me and mm-hmm. respond to it in Jesus' name and know that yeah. Where he, where I am, he is, and so this is not like some event happening outside of God's. Like he's got his back turned, and he turns around and is like, "What are you doing?" Right, right. I right. mean, I, this is this. I was supposed to be. You're supposed to consult me on all these things. Um, so, as you talk about process, and every process, and especially when it comes to formation, when I talk mm-hmm. to spiritual directees and say, you know, some of this is. It's going to be a process, which means there's going to be two steps forward and one step back. You write about a step that was probably one of the most interesting and humorous parts of the book, which we already talked about, is humorous now. Um, Yeah, humorous now. At the time, it wasn't. Uh, Can you talk about the TSA and the snow globe for people who haven't read it? And just where that fits in this whole discussion of... Yes. I will say for the record, I thank you, TSA, for all you do for our... <laughs> well, I love that. You made, you actually put a footnote in the book dedicated to the TSA. It might be the first time ever that that has happened in a trade publication. So It might, it might have, right? Um, yeah. So in the middle of... Well, I had not been diagnosed yet with an illness, but I was sick. And so I was trying lots of different medications and, um, some of them made me real ragey and we were my, um, cousin Cameron, I didn't say this. My cousin Cameron was killed while snowshoe hiking in Crater Lake National Park, Oregon. He was, um, uh, on the side of a snow cornice stepped out. He actually took a beautiful picture of Crater Lake. He sent it to me, my sister, several other of our family members, and then he fell to his death. Um, and, uh, years later, I mean, it's been four years, almost four years now, park rangers still haven't found his body. So it has been a, um, just a devastating loss for our family and not just his death, but the way he died, you know, that's, you wonder like, where is God in freak accidents? So anyway, I'm telling you that because I was not well, and then we were grieving, and but we were traveling to be with my cousin's family, his mom and dad and brother in Colorado, because it, it was a year after his death. And so we wanted to be together and celebrate. And um, every year we light lanterns, you know, float up in the sky to, to honor him and remember. And we drink a little shot of whiskey to remember him. And so anyway, we were traveling to do that. And I had a snow globe for my niece because I wanted to bring her a gift. It was also Christmas time. Wanted to bring her a gift. And um, I was carrying it through security, the TSA checkpoint. And of course, you're not supposed to bring liquid items through TSA. So they stopped me and they said, ma'am, you can't bring this snow globe uh, through. You're going to have to throw it away. And I freaked out. I mean, I was literally like, what do you mean I can't bring this snow globe? And my poor husband and my kids, they're off to the side because they had gotten through and they're watching me kind of start this fight. And my husband knows like I, I will rage, especially when I'm on medication. And so they said, you absolutely cannot bring it. And I said, this is for a young girl who's who's mourning the death of someone. It's Christmas, you know, and I'm like raising my voice and getting a little bit extreme. Well, then literally a second 
TSA officer came over and they're saying to me, ma'am, you absolutely cannot bring this liquid snow globe onto the plane. Um, and so I, this was where I made a mistake and I do write about this. I reached in my purse to grab a, I was just grabbing my phone to take a picture of it, but they were like, ma'am, what are you doing? Why are you reaching in your purse? And I don't really don't know. I mean, here I am this like wife from the suburbs. I don't know what they thought I was going to do, but it became a whole thing. I'm yelling at the TSA officer. I have to leave it there. I don't get to bring the snow globe with me. And then I just lose it. And I just start sobbing. And I, my poor husband is like following behind me. I'm crying all the way, like down the, down the, uh, hallway, the main hallway at O'Hare to our, you know, where you wait for the plane. I'm crying on the tarmac. I'm crying in the plane. I'm crying, 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 crying. It's horrible. And my husband's like, good job, Bob's real good example for our kids, you know, like slow clapping me. And, um, anyway, this is a long way of telling you that was an incredibly powerful moment for me because I, it was, um, I kind of alluded to this before. I was trying to lament really well and really beautifully and really poetically and do it like I thought I was supposed to do. And that was a moment where I was like, I can't lament. This sucks. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to skip past all this awful, horrible, embarrassing, humiliating stuff and get to the other side of it so that I can have my mountaintop experience and... I don't want to cause scenes at airports in front of my kids, you know, in front of my husband. And I felt like on this whole vacation, God kept saying to me, it's okay. You don't have to lament perfectly. You don't have to act perfect in airports. You don't have to worry about doing this artfully and beautifully and gracefully. I love you no matter how you lament. And, and, um, even though I was kind of hitting a wall in my lament journey, that felt like a step forward in it. Because again, I was kind of letting go, like you said before, of those expectations I had for myself. So the, so the lament journey is not linear. <laughs> it is definitely dynamic, right? <laughs> I don't think it's cyclical. I don't think it's, I, I feel like, you know, in scripture, you can see the lament journey does follow patterns um, typically it follows a pattern kind of like the Exodus where we're in pain in slavery. We cry out to God. He sets us free. We, we declare our freedom and our hope in him, but the journey of lament is not always just that succinct. Like it takes years, um, months, days, weeks, sometimes our lifetime, I think to, to get across the Red Sea, right. And, and to find the freedom. And sometimes we go back and we complain and we, you know, I, I don't even know if there's a, I don't even know if there's a shape to describe when you're actually grieving. It's yeah. very dynamic. Yeah. When you talk to people about the book, when you talk to people about your experience, mm-hmm. what do you find is the most, the, the thing that you're drawn to say to them most? Um, I have been very honored because people have come forward um, to meet with very painful stories, um, stories of, you know, children committing suicide. Someone told me recently of a son just being murdered brutally on the side of the road, his body thrown into a lake, um, of unexpected death or of even, you know, a husband walking out on a wife with six kids, um, of diagnoses that you didn't expect. Um, 
even the, just recently, my husband's mentor, a Zambian pastor died unexpectedly of cancer. So people have, I feel like really honored me with their stories and I, I want to steward them really well, but I, I feel like the thing that has come up again and again that I want to say to people and that I feel like the book is saying to people is that you're not alone. Um, God is with you. Other sufferers are with you and, um, that God wants to meet you in your pain. God, I think wants to honor your pain somehow. And although it's really hard because God is not the author of evil, God is not the author of suffering. There are these seasons where it feels that way. Right. And you just wonder why didn't God stop the evil or stop the suffering. But I think somehow in that intersection, um, God meets us. And, um, I think that's what I keep saying to people. You're not alone. God is with you. Other people are with you. You're not alone. God is with you. Other people are with you. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. But it's hard. I mean, those are hard, hard, un, like you said, nonsensical things that you're never going to say, well, here's why this happened. You're never going to say that to someone, you know, but you're going to sit with them on their morning bench and grieve with them. And doing that, I think, is an act of the presence of God in and of itself. Looking back for you as a writer and the fact that you've lived this, you lived the book. It wasn't yeah. uh, something you researched and, and talked about from an outside perspective. You lived it. it. Looking back on the whole process of writing and, and now talking about it and mm -hmm. answering the same questions uh, often, what, what's most surprising to you about this whole conversation that you've been able to have? Um, I think some surprising things are how it really the book and my own journey really resonate with people. There's a lot of people that are in such deep pain, but they're afraid to ask their questions. Like they're afraid to even kind of admit that they have these really gnawing spiritual questions and they don't know. I mean, most of us don't know how to hold God's goodness and evil's evil at the same time. Um, like that paradox is really, really difficult. And so that has been surprising for me. I think just that people need permission to lament and need permission to say all the things they need to say and want to say to God, even if they're angry and, and ugly and bitter. Um, and I, I don't know why that's been surprising, but I think I thought, you know, people would feel comfortable saying all of the things they need to say to God, but people don't, they need permission to do that. Um, and then I think the other surprising thing is how I, you know, it's been a few years out. I think I still in my mind thought, well, I've written the book now, like I'm okay now. And every time I go back and tell some of these stories, I'm like, okay, I, this is bringing up some stuff that I need to keep bringing back to God. Like I still have some questions here that I just need to keep. I need to remember my own lamenting journey isn't over, you know? That's good. That's so good for people who read to know that when the, when the person writes the book, the story doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you hit the end doesn't mean <laughs> you're done processing at all. Yeah. We, we have come to the footnotes, which means right. <laughs> trauma is over. Lament I'm is healed. over. Yeah. Ta-da. <laughs> now it's time for the victory tour. Yeah. 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 The victory tour. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I see the, no. I can see the branding already. Right. Right. Yeah. No, not, not, it's a, like you said, it's a dynamic journey. Yeah. Well, thank you for putting this gift into the world. Uh, I think it, I think it is that I believe there are a lot of people who are 
in need of that permission. Mm-hmm. And to also see the intersection between growing and actually being able to grow while still experiencing some things that seem so counter to growth. So, yeah. th- so thank you for your transparency and your honesty. Thanks for saying that, Casey. Aubrey Sampson is the author of the book, The Louder Song, about lament. She is also one of the pastors. She and her husband planted a church called Renewal Church in West Chicago. You can find more information about Aubrey on her website, which I've included in the show notes, as well as some notes about the books we talked about, uh, The Critical Journey, and some other things. Also, just a reminder, April the 9th, uh, my book, as I recall, Discovering the Place of Memories in Our Spiritual Life, will launch into the world. Feel free to pre-order now. It's at heavy discount at ivp.com and also at Amazon. If you're streaming via my website, thank you for listening. If you've subscribed on iTunes, thank you for doing that as well. If you don't mind, uh, just throw a rating or a review on the podcast. I'd love to hear how you think things are going. Uh, I hope this conversation about lament was helpful. And if you are going through pain, if you are going through struggle, may you come to know the God who is okay with the messy process of lament. And not only is he okay with it, but he's inviting you into it so that you might grow so that you might deepen, so that you might know him more, even in the midst of pain. Until next time, be well, live wisely. Peace, friends.